0: I'm Beverly, this is Allison, and
1: you are listening to Shaky Shaky Understanding. Today we are talking about A Midsummer Night's Dream. Yes! The only Shakespeare play I have performed. Yay! I Yay! Listened. It's a very fun play, and more likely than not, you've probably seen it somewhere in your town. Why don't you tell me the plot of A Midsummer Night's Dream? Let's have Shakespeare a bridge. All right. It opens with Hippolyta and Duke Theseus. Hippolyta is his new bride, and they're, they're about to get married, basically. And brought before them is this family, and Aegis is the father of Hermia, And he says, hey, I want Hermia to get married to Demetrius. I promised him to her, and I want her to get married to him. And Hermia says, but I'm in love with Lysander, and Lysander loves me back. Now, in this country, it is law that she must listen to her father's choice. So... Theseus, being merciful, says, Well, you can either marry the guy your father wants you to marry, or you can go be a nun, instead of dying, you know, as one does. Right. So, after everyone leaves, Lysander and Hermia are real, real sad together. Um, And they decide to run away into the forest together to get married in secret. Secret wedding. Hermia's best friend Helena comes in, and it's revealed that Helena is in love with Demetrius, and Demetrius used to have a thing with Helena, and, like, they, mm. they had some sort of relationship, and now he's like, Ugh, I don't like Helena, I like Hermia, for whatever what reason. So rude. So Helena is pining over him, and Hermia tells her the plan that Lysander and her are going to run into the forest and get married, and she says, I hope that Demetrius comes around and you end up together. And then Lysander and Hermia go away, and Helena goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell Demetrius that uh, Hermia is running away into the forest. And then he'll follow her, and then I'll follow him. And it'll be great, and I can woo him. So that's her plan. So anyway, they go into the forest. Now in the forest, we get a little taste of magic. What? what? So they go into the forest, and the king of fairies, Oberon, and the queen of fairies, Titania, are having a fight. Arr. Arr. And uh, Titania has a changeling boy that Oberon wants to be his, like... Right him in, be his bro. And she's like, You can't have my changeling boy, it's mine and that's their fight. <laughs> Great. We see them, the fairy the fairy kingdom, so to speak. Once Titania goes away, uh, Oberon calls out his right hand man, Puck, his little fairy sprite thing, and he tells him, Go make Titania fall in love with someone crazy gross, basically. <laughs> so there's this like fancy flower that you can put on people's eyes that makes them fall in love with whoever they see when they wake up from their slumber. And then he witnesses Helena chasing after Demetrius and pining after him, and Demetrius being super rude to her and super mean, and he says you know what? Also, while you're out, while you're out making people fall in love with each other, why don't you fix these Athen- this Athenian couple and make them fall in love with each other so Helena can finally have her love with Demetrius? So, Puck goes out into the forest and finds what he thinks is the Athenian couple Oberon was talking about, but is actually Hermia and Lysander. Wow. Well, well. The true lovers. And so he puts the flower juice in Lysander's eyes, and then... Helena comes upon the clearing where they're taking a nap. Lysander wakes up and falls in love with Helena. And Helena is just super upset because she just thinks he's making fun of her. Mm. And so she is really mad and runs away. Oberon finds out. He's real mad. And he scolds Puck and tells Puck he needs to fix it and get the right lovers with the right lady.
0: Meanwhile,
1: back at the shop, there's this group of ragtag misfits putting on a play. All. Just a couple of couple of guys just have normal people jobs. There's like a table. The blue collar workers. Blue collar workers <laughs> of the Elizabethan era. <laughs> so these folks are all practicing a play to perform for the Duke's wedding. And one of them is a very overzealous actor who wants to be in front of everyone. And his name is Bottom. And he doesn't shut up. And... He's, he means well, but he's he's a little overbearing and very theater kitty. Maybe you know someone like that. Maybe you are someone like that.
0: Why are you looking at me? Looking at Allison, looking at myself. <laughs> it's like looking at a mirror. These ragtag mechanicals, they are now in the forest rehearsing, and that is when Puck sees them and decides that he is going to put the flower juice into Tanya's eyes to make her fall in love with one of these weird mechanical dudes. Not robotic dudes blue-collar dudes. To make it even worse, he
1: changes Bottoms' head into the head of an ass, which just means a donkey, for those of you that don't know. And so, Titania wakes up and falls in love with a literal and figurative ass. She's like, oh, he's the hottest thing I've ever seen. All the fairies are like, really? Okay, because you're queen. We'll follow your your orders. (laughs) Meanwhile, he goes to try and fix the lovers that he messed up with the Athenians, and he puts the flower love juice, into Demetrius's eyes. And Demetrius wakes up and sees Helena, and now Demetrius and Lysander are both going after Helena. Hermia is real screwed. Hermia comes in and is saying, Lysander, you ditched me, are you okay? And he's like, get away from me, grossness! And basically tells her to go screw herself, and that he's in love with Helena, and she should just leave. Hermia is so sad, and Helena- Super angry at Helena, also. Right. And Helena is super angry at Hermia, because she thinks it's all about her, thinks that everyone is just trying to play a trick on her, because she's always been the ugly duckling, and now everyone's in love with her, but really it's just love juice, duh. So they get in this big fight, and basically Puck ends up leading them all away, and being like, here, follow me! Like, pretending to be all the other people to lead them into a forest so they can all take a nap. Once he gets all of them down for a nap- He puts love juice in their eyes, and makes Lysander fall back in love with Hermia, and he makes Demetrius continue to fall in love with Helena, as they were juiced before. (laughs) Meanwhile, Oberon thinks it's hilarious that Titania's in love with an ass-man, half-ass, half-man, donkey head when he sees how great it is, he basically just says, all right, that's enough. You can you can take him away. And so he releases Titania from the spell, and she goes, um, did I? And he's kind of like, yeah, you, you might have. Don't worry about it. And it's just sort of a a thing. And then she just kind of makes up with him and their their fight is pretty much resolved. Aww. Aww. So nice. Bottom goes back to the mechanicals. And just in time for them to be able to perform their show for the wedding. Exactly. So all the lovers wake up and they go back to the capital and Demetrius is like, hey, Egeus, it's cool, I don't want to marry your daughter anymore. I'm going to marry this girl. And Egeus is like, alright, I guess. So the duke says, well, why don't we have a triple wedding? So all three of the couples Ooh. get to get married. Lysander and Hermia Helena and Demetrius, Duke Theseus and Hippolyta. At their wedding is the wonderful theater performance by Bottom and his troupe of actors, Pyramus and Thisbe. That's the end. This play is really simple, it's all about love, and it's great. And then at the end, Puck has an epilogue and he speaks directly to the audience, which is sort of interesting and something we'll be talking about today. We also have a special guest today. I'm very excited about a special guest. my best friend, Paulette. She is the perfect person to have on for this Midsummer podcast because she has lived, breathed, and witnessed Midsummer many a time for two years? Going on two years. Going on two years. She works with the Actors Gang Theater Company, and they have production of Midsummer that they've toured all over Europe and a couple places in the US and South America. I've seen the production three times and I love it. (laughs) It's really good. You should all see it if you have a chance. It's gonna be back soon at the Actors Gang in LA if you're in town. I believe June. In June, probably.
2: So anyway, this is Paulette. Nice to meet you. I'm honored to be here. I'm very excited. I love this play. It's what made me go to the Actors Gang and it's just been a joy and it's just so connected to everything in life in so many ways. I'm going to start out with a question.
0: I'm curious because I know you have seen several productions of this story. And in the production that I was in, when Puck is, like, fixing all the love juicy things, he actually un-love juiced, if that's a phrase I can make up right now, Demetrius. So that when Demetrius wakes up, he really is in love with oh. Helena and it's not a spell anymore. He's, like, realizing Ooh. he's in love with her so that he's not such a total douche. And I'm curious, the way that you're reacting makes me think you've not seen it done that way before.
1: I definitely like that choice a lot because something always... Sat unwell with me, because, I mean, the love juice thing is so similar to a roofie, I don't really feel comfortable with them just leaving Demetrius, like, permanently roofied into being loved. love with right. Helena. So
0: that's what we that's did. Cool. It's like, now that they've, like, gone through all this in the forest, like, like, Helena's I, plans I get you. worked, and he, he, like, falls back in love. Hmm. So neither of you have seen a production that did, like ours did, in which Demetrius gets the spell removed from him, and he is honestly in love with Helena. And a little bit redeemed as a character.
2: Right. No, I've never seen that. Actually, there is a moment that he says, Demetrius says at the end when he wakes up saying, My love to Hermia, melted as the snow seems to me now as the remembrance of an idol god. He's saying that it, this sickness that he had where he loved Hermia, which could be the what Puck is putting in mm-hmm. his eye, that sickness, mm-hmm. is melted away. And now he sees the true love, which has always has always been for Helena. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and it, I like that he mentions it—the metaphor of snow—because yes. it gives you this great image of, first of all, love as like seasons. And mm-hmm. he plays on that
2: so much in Tatiana's oh, yeah? speech.
0: What she's saying in that speech is like everything is crazy. It's winter. It's summer. The mortals don't know what's going on. It's like a thunderstorm with a hailstorm, and then it's sunny outside. And this is all you're doing. Because Oberon and Titania are fighting, fighting. it's making the seasons go crazy. Do you want to talk about other themes and stuff in the play?
2: Other things that are uh, through Midsummer, I would say it's the one you go to when you're thinking of like happiness, love. Mm. Like, there's not a lot of disappointment in this. Like, what's the most disappointing thing? Euge- I was going to say at the end, Eugeus doesn't say it's okay for him to get married. Uh, the king goes, you know what? Screw this law. You guys get to get married. Let's do it. And is like, damn it. <laughs> 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 fine. The king said so. Sort of like Malvolio. Mm. Yes, yes. He's the only one with that like, there's ending. no disappointment in this play. It's just love and happiness.
0: I would totally agree with that. I feel like, the point with the seasons is almost saying that love is in our nature. Ooh. All right. I, I had that thought that. and I just needed to share it out just loud. just needed to frame it? All right.
1: Right. I just oh. want to
2: be quoted.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you want to talk about adaptations? Yeah, there aren't a lot of modern day adaptations of this play. I think because it is both that play that you go to, it is very simple. It's very pleasing. You know, people can do versions of it and... Middle school, high school, its it can be a very kid-friendly production. I remember my mom actually getting me a version from the library and having me read it when I was eight (laughs) or nine or something because I was going to go and audition for it. (laughs) And all she told me, she goes, you are going to love it. It's so funny. This guy gets turned into a donkey. (laughs) (laughs) And I read it. And I did not think it was that funny. <laughs> it went so. way, everything went way over my head. And I honestly, actually, I think that's where my initial <laughs> hatred of Shakespeare came from was because I was wrongly introduced him. Wait, hold on.
1: First of all, number one, this is the first I've heard that you hate
0: Shakespeare. I thought you just didn't know it. No, no, no. I didn't know it by choice because I hated it. Also, I will say, strangely though, this is the play that made me go, Shakespeare, man. I just don't get it. But this, this being the only Shakespeare that I have performed, this is also the play that made me go back and say there is something to Shakespeare because performing it, like you were saying in our Romeo and Juliet podcast, there is something that gets into your body when you really start breaking down the words and looking at all the imagery and all the rhythm. symbolism and the rhythm, thank you, all the rhythm of everything. And so it it also is the play that made me come back to Shakespeare and say... Maybe he was onto something. Let's explore this further.
2: But also, um, for kids to mm-hmm. talk, like, also, she's like, oh, "Look, it's so funny. It's you're turning into an ass." But it's also, like, "Look, it's so funny having sex with an ass." <laughs> yeah,
0: I know her speech is so sexual. Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, where she's like, "Be in my bed nuts. forever." Yeah, that too. Munch too, so. dry dryouts. Yeah, right. Munch these dryouts.
1: Ew. The original. That's what she said. Shakespeare. So modern adaptations, there's a couple of uh, movie versions of this play, but there's not a lot of, like, translated versions. Like, in the sense of, like, something modern.
0: But no, there isn't really one. I think because it is, it's kind of, it's kind of. Perfect, how it? Is.
1: Like it's just—it's a rom-com. It's a romantic comedy. Yep. There is one thing that I, I should. Do you want to watch it now? There's no. uh no. Okay, I won't. I won't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're recording. There is one thing that I found on YouTube when I was a kid, and it's the Beatles doing the mechanical scene <gasps> at the end. Oh my god, god, that's we'll watch
2: fabulous. That. <laughs> also, let's do it.
0: <laughs> that was really fun. So check it out.
1: So uh Paul McCartney plays Pyramus, Ringo Star is the lion, I believe John Lennon <laughs> is Thisbe, and George Harrison is the moon and the man of the moon. Yeah. Very yeah. fun. Which is it was great. Treat yourself, go With look it up on YouTube. Live dog. With a real dog. So modern adaptations. That's pretty stuff. much every
0: yeah. romantic comedy
1: ever. Yeah, it's all about like again, just like Romeo and Juliet, it's about missed signals and missed communications. But Um, it all works out in the end. Unlike Romeo and Juliet, it all works out at the end.
0: Right. So, Romeo and Juliet was written right before Midsummer. So when you read Midsummer and you are, if you think about Romeo and Juliet, especially in Pyramus and Thisbe, but kind of throughout the play, because, you know, there are mis-signals and miscommunications, but it all works out, there's Mm -hmm. a triple wedding at the end, everything is happy, and then Pyramus and Thisbe especially, it's like an SNL skit of Romeo and Juliet. You've never thought of that? That is the only thing I think of when I read Pyramus and Thisbe. One lover dies and then the other kills themselves. Yep. He had to have written Romeo and Juliet first. Wow, cool, 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 cool. Which and that's Great my theory. You're so welcome. Allison gets two gold stars this week. <laughs> okay, are there other
1: themes or symbols that anybody wants to talk about? I don't pick up this play a lot because it's so simple, mm. and I feel like I know it. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember it, but. Reading it this time, I noticed a lot of really great love quotes about like the futility mm. of love, how
2: foolish mortals are. I love how much they play upon the idea of like there's love, but they disguise it a lot by saying, like, Cupid. Mm. Cupid is a knavish lad, thus to make poor females mad. Mm-hmm. Like, Cupid's arrow is what poisons the flower that makes a flower magical. Cupid putting a face to love. Interesting. For us.
1: Cool. I like, like the personification of love
2: in Cupid.
1: This isn't a love quote, but I love this too. Um, Lysander says this when he's talking to Helena after he's been charmed by the Mm -hmm. flower we're just talking about. So he's been made to be in love with Helena. I love this because it's talking about how when we're young, we fall in love with people that maybe aren't right for us or Mm. out of rashness. When we're Mm. older, we fall in love with people who fit us better. He says, "Things growing are not ripe until their season. So I, being young till now, ripe not to reason, and touching now the point of human skill, reason becomes the marshal to my will and leads me to your eyes, where I o'erlook love stories written in love's richest book." And so he's saying, "I wasn't in love
0: till now." It's kind of what Romeo says, actually. I do you see what I'm saying? Midsummer is Romeo and Juliet, but the happy version. (laughs) Am I the only? I can't be the only one that no, you're not. So comment. (laughs) on our episode and let me know your
1: thoughts. In the middle of Act 3, Scene 2, Helena is talking to Hermia and being like, hey, I love you as a friend and talking about, like, friendship love over Mm. men love and, like, how that should be... Pose before bros. How that should be more powerful. Uh, Food before dudes, though. Very important.
0: Oh, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) There's just a
1: lot of of good, pithy one-liners about foolishness of love and, and different theories of love, and, and we talked a little bit about Demetrius saying that his eyes were not clear till now, mm-hmm. and the snow has melted away to show him his true love.
0: I'd love to talk about the mechanicals
1: a little bit. So when we say mechanicals, again, that just means, like, blue-collar workers of the time.
0: Do you want to talk about the prologue in Pyramus and Thisbe with the mechanicals?
2: Um, it's just a really interesting part. I thought the... It's something that Shakespeare always reiterates, saying, don't take this seriously, just take what you can, have fun... Mm. It's just a game. It's just, like, <laughs> constantly, like, we also hear it when he's like, wait, 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 wait. we can't have a line. We're going to scare people. Oh, you're right. We have to tell people it's fake. We, oh, we have to, we're
0: not
1: a. He's not serious, though. He's, like, saying that this is something funny. Yes. He's saying
2: this is something yeah.
0: funny. Yeah. I think this kind of gets down to the technical aspect that you wanted to cover in yeah. this play. So do you want to jump onto that? Yeah, let's let's get in there. Well, this week, I wanted to
1: talk a little bit about what theater was like in the Elizabethan era when this was being performed mm-hmm. for the first time and a little bit about breaking the fourth wall. We mm-hmm. talked a little bit about that with Hamlet talking about soliloquies mm-hmm. but it, it sort of does not in a different way in this one. So theater in the Elizabethan era men were the only actors boys would often play the younger women parts, and sometimes men would play the older women parts, um, like maybe Titania might be played by an older man. But Helena and Hermia would both be played by young boys who didn't have beards and who would make their voices a little higher. Like, a they be. So that's, that's part of what is so cool about this is actors were also part of the lower class. Like, being an actor was not a cool thing. Even though theater was really popular and seeing shows was a great thing, being an actor was like, oh, he's an actor? Oh, what a... Weirdo. He goes on what tour. A slut. They I would have perform. No money. Yeah, they would get different amounts of money based on who was sponsoring them. Some of them had patrons that were like really big, like the king. Even the king's men were being paid for and sponsored by the king himself. And then like the Lord Chamberlain's men was actually being sponsored by the Lord Chamberlain. And also where they were playing. So when they played in the country, they made less money than when they played in the cities, like London. Sometimes they tour to like Germany and stuff. But for the most part, they were low class people. So when you see these characters in his plays that are actors. They They're supposed to be the lower class people and the people not in power. I like his not in power characters the best because they're either speaking their mind or they're speaking what's true of the time without realizing it. Like we see that with the grave digger. He, right. he he spits right back at Hamlet, and he tells right. him all these jokes. I think with Bottom, he's just really speaking to this actor who just doesn't realize that he's so overbearing.
0: Oh, I ha- can I ask my question now for me? And I talked about this a little bit in when we were talking about Romeo and Juliet. And I think a lot of people are this way. Some of sort of the intimidation with Shakespeare is like, what does any of this mean? even when we were all reading Hamlet out loud, there were people who would read some of them and go, I don't know what I just said. So my question is, in the times that Shakespeare was being performed, do you think his plays were easily understood? Like, is that how people were speaking? Is that how people were speaking in theater? Or is that Aaron Sorkin on crack? And people are like, I think I'm following you. But I had to think about what
1: was just said. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. I think he made up some of the words and some of the phrases that then became phrases in the English language. But I I do think some of it was being used at the time. And a lot of the references that I think really trip people up Mm. and a lot of the imagery that really trips people up were common back then. So, like, we'll get into this eventually, but there's, like, a thing with cuckolds, which Mm. is when, it basically means when a man is cheated on by his wife. He's Mm. cuckolded. And it's, like, a thing that a cuckold where the symbol for a cuckold is horns on their head, like mm. deer horns on their head because everyone else can see it, but he can't.
0: Mm. It's on top of
1: his head. And that's like something everyone would have known at the time. But nowadays cool. you read about that and you're like, why are they talking about horns? That's so weird. Mm. Um, oh. So there's like references and things like that. Whether they spoke exactly like the vowel thus, I think they did. I don't know. Well what's
0: really interesting is to go into all of that is like the and now is actually the informal way to okay. speak to someone and the Quakers that's why Quakers would always say the and thou because that's informal and you and your was formal and then it all oh. got switched and now we think the and thou is like so formal but it's not interesting. so that's really interesting in that there's a lot of cool. the and thou in Shakespeare because again a lot of people that I know that love Shakespeare talk about you know when Shakespeare is done right and when it's performed right like you can't put it on a pedestal because it wasn't on a pedestal in Shakespeare's time it was like the plays of the people. And so you that's can't... a good point too is that he wrote to be popular and so mm-hmm. I don't
1: think he would have written in any other way than people could understand. He was making references people understood.
0: Cool. So another
1: thing that we see in this play, we saw a little bit in Hamlet, breaking the fourth wall. So the fourth wall is the invisible wall between the stage and the audience that the audience is witnessing the play through. So, characters speak directly to the audience a couple times in this play. When they're they're talking to themselves, we see it a little bit. We saw that in Hamlet. Mm-hmm. And the fourth wall is used in this one because there's a little epilogue with Puck. And he addresses
2: the audience directly. He says, give me your hands if we be friends. And he's asking for applause there. So I want to arguably say that when Puck says, and give me thy hands if we be friends. Yeah. He's not saying a clap for me. Because this is so interesting. We took this on tour in Almagro, Spain, and I had a I uh, was in charge of the translation uh-huh. mm. for it, and Paulette translated see, uh, *Midsummer Night's Dream* into Spanish. Right, right. Because oh, they dang. have... whenever you take it on tour, and uh, like you, you keep it in English, but right. then you have like the super titles, like in an opera. Right.
1: With the Soft translation, titles.
2: they call them super titles. Oh, really? Yeah. Why? Because they're above. Because they're. Right? Because Huge. The and there's one night where the audience laughed at a moment where no one has ever, ever, ever laughed at it. So at the end when Puck goes and give me thy hands if we be friends because someone translated into clap for us now, please. Like essentially <clears throat> like we want it's what you said, like if you like this, give us a clap. We're just so like begging for a yeah. clap. Versus Tim and, and all this we're talking about, we're like we think it's it's more just saying, Give me thy hands if we be friends join me this, give me that hands and let's, let's go in this together. Let's hold hands together and like walk off and figure this out. Mm. It, Cause I don't want, I don't want it to be, I don't think it's like a cheesy, like I want this, uh, appreciation. It's more just saying like, let's go on this together. If we learn anything from this, if I teach you anything about love, it's, you have to do it together. Mm. Give me that hands.
0: Honestly, I have a new theory. So, to add to my theory about *Midsummer* being written after Romeo and Juliet, also, do you think people went and saw Romeo and Juliet and were like, I'm so pissed! Everyone died! And Shakespeare was like, oh crap, I better write a play where everyone lives! Mm. And then I'm gonna add this little epilogue so that people will know not to take it so seriously because you still play guys. Like, the actors didn't really die. I don't know. I think he just likes
1: being referential. That's another way to break the fourth wall is to, like, show things that... The audience would know that these players would know professionally. Mm. Like being an actor, they know exactly what those mechanicals have gone through. Like working with right. an actor who's overzealous. Right. Working with an actor who can only do the it's... lion's part because he can only roar. Yeah, yeah. Because he he's he's slow of exactly. study as it is said. It's like Snugged Shakespeare
0: the does the office.
1: Yeah, Shakespeare does The Office. It totally is. So The Office is a great mm-hmm. example of breaking the fourth wall. We talked about Parks and Rec too. But a really great example is the new movie Deadpool because he addresses the audience directly multiple times in the movie. They even make jokes about actor Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool. Deadpool's making jokes about Ryan Reynolds being a bad actor. Which is so beautiful. It's wonderful.
0: And, I mean, almost similar to the way that Pyramus and Thisbe kind of makes fun of its own plot. Deadpool also makes one of its own plot. Like, here, take this business card in my Further the Plot. It's it's a great movie. Go see it. (laughs) (laughs) We are not paid by the people of Deadpool. We just just appreciate it. it. And that's what it means to break the fourth wall. Yeah, man. So now when somebody talks about, oh, yeah, it's going to be done modern family style or office style, you can say, oh, you mean they're going to be breaking the fourth wall and look super smart at all your dinner parties. Cool. Should we read a
1: scene? Yeah. This is um, Act. One, scene two. This is the first time when we get to meet our troupe of mechanicals. Um, and they have a fun little casting call. I'll be reading Quince.
2: Peter Quince. I'll be reading Bottom the Weaver. And I'll be reading Flute the... Bellows Mender. The Bellows Mender.
0: Is all our company here?
2: You were best to call them generally man by man according to the script.
0: Here is the scroll of every man's name, which is thought fit through all Athens to play in our interlude before the Duke and the Duchess on his wedding day at that
2: First, good Peter Quince, say what the play treats on. Then read the names of the actors so to grow to a point. Mary, our
0: play is the most lamentable comedy and most cruel death of Pyramus and Thisbe.
2: A very good piece of work, I assure you. And Mary, now, good Peter Quince, call forth your actors by the scroll. Masters! Spread yourself. Enter as I call you, Nick Bottom, the weaver. Ready. Name what
0: part I am for, and proceed. You, Nick Bottom, are set down for Pyramus.
2: Mine. What is Pyramus? A lover or a tyrant? A lover that kills himself most gallant for love. That will ask for some tears in the true performing of it. If I do it, let the audience look to their eyes. I will move storms. I will condole in some measure. To the rest, yet my chief humor is for a tyrant, I could play Hercules rarely, or a part to tear a cat in to make it our spit. The raging rocks and shivering shocks shall break the locks of prison's gates, and Phoebe's car shall shine from far and make it maw the foolish fates. <clears throat> that was lofty. Now name the rest of the players. This is an Hercules vein, a tyrant's vein. A lover's more condoling.
0: Francis Flute, the bellows mender. Here, Peter Quince. Flute, you must take Thisbe on you. What is Thisbe? A wandering knight? It is the lady that Pyramus must love. Nay, Faith, let me not play a woman. I have a beard coming.
2: That's all
0: one. You shall play it in a mask, and you may speak as small as you will.
2: I and I may hide my face, let me play this be too, I'll speak in a monstrous little voice, this Disney, Disney, ah, Pyramus, my dear lover, like Disney dear and Lady dear. No,
0: no, you must play Pyramus and flute, you Disney.
2: <sighs> well, proceed.
0: And scene. scene. Thanks for listening, guys.
1: Yeah. Thank you for joining us, Paulette. Thank you, guys. It was amazing.
0: This has been Shaky Understanding with Allison. Beverly. And Paulette. Deuces, Deuces peasants. peasants! Do you want to talk about other themes and stuff in the play? Besides, like, seasons of love? <laughs> seasons love. of love. No. I mean...
1: <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the time. <laughs> oh, God.